I'm concluding this series, uh, the voices of grace I put down here, the voices of the past, uh, celebrating and reflecting on 40 years. We've heard from Dr. Stephen Mansfield, Pastor Mark Koch, Pastor Donnell Jones, all offering insight and perspective on what has brought us to where uh, we are today and to give us insight into what needs to continue to happen what we need to continue to hold in front of ourselves in order to proceed into the next 40 years. I want to conclude this month of celebration and vision casting by looking at our name, what it tells us of who uh, we are and God's purpose, Grace Covenant Church. Names are interesting. They're often given to a person or a thing not fully realizing at the time the significance of what, of what they represent or what they're even saying. Uh, Corey, for instance, our son. Uh, when Kathy and I uh, were, getting, were looking forward to having him and a part of our family, we found a name in Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 14. We saw the name Corey. And in Hebrew, that word means crier. And we thought, well, great, that probably means that he's going to uh, declare the name of the Lord and, and maybe even, I, I don't know the relationship between that and a cantor, but in, the, in a synagogue service, the cantor sings the word of God and ministers in that way. So we had anticipation that that, uh, that name was going to have some degree of relevance. Well, when he was born, there was a, a long pause, a too long pause uh, to his mom and I where he did not cry. And when a child is born and there's no sound, that's not a good thing. But then he started to cry, and we thought, ah, that's a great name. We named him properly. Well, then when you go back and look at the origin of his name in 2 Chronicles 31, 14, we find that it provides a different, broader perspective after the years that have passed. It's written there, it, said, uh, it says this, Corey was over, the, he was a, a, a Levite working in the temple, and he was over the free will offerings to God to apportion the contribution reserved for the Lord. Now, if that isn't a description of what Corey does in, uh, in, in, in his ministry with Grace Loves, I, there's no better description. And that's exactly what Corey of old did in the, in the temple and did with the people of God. And the Corey we know today is ministering very much in the same spirit. Well, I want us to look at our name kind of in that similar sort of a way. Uh, it's good sometimes just to step back and to reflect, to look, to consider. Uh, but in considering our name, I do want to uh, pivot from the, 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 the way we've looked at the last, the, the last few weeks, we've made a, a great deal of the memorial stones that the priests lifted out of the Jordan River when it was dried up by the power of God. The people had passed over. They took up these stones and they took them to the, to the, uh, to the, is, the, the side in which they were going the promised land side of the river, and they piled them or built them into a wall as a memorial. I want to make, turn the analogy a bit tonight, and I want to consider the elements of our name as not memorial stones, but as foundation stones. 
what I believe the words of our name to be. What, what our name is, is has, has provided a foundation for what this church is. Foundation stones are not picked up or stacked or moved on men's shoulders. Foundation stone, when properly aligned with the cornerstone, ensure that the structure is both sound and true. That when the foundation stones are lined up properly with the cornerstone, then you can be assured that the walls are going to stand up straight. They're going to go in a clear line and it's going to be marked out as a building that will last because there's solidness under it. Uh, when Kathy and I were in Israel some years ago, we had opportunity to uh, visit the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. And what makes that so significant is that at the base of that, you can look into areas where the stones were put in place for the original temple in the days of Solomon. And I think there's an image up here of the largest stone, yes, in that foundation is 40 feet long, 11 feet high, and they don't know how deep it is because there's other stones built around it, but they've estimated that this stone weighs between 250 and 450 tons. It was moved into the place where the temple was built, and I've, as I understand it, no chisel sound was heard at the building of the temple. That all the stones were cut precisely and moved carefully and put into place, and there was a solemnity about it. And the substance of those stones are here today, 3,000 years later. Now, my thought is, if this is how substantive the stones are for an earthly temple, what are the foundation stones like for an eternal household of God? And I believe that grace, covenant, church are stones that we would do well just to consider, to reflect on briefly. Uh, we're not going to be here later than 10, I promise. So... <laughs> First of all, the word grace. The term as we know it and experience it is, I believe, something beyond the traditional theological definition of grace, which many of you have heard, grace is unmerited favor. I believe a more robust understanding of grace uh, is borne out in Scripture, and it's one that I use when I talk about grace. It's a definition I've come to adopt for grace that I believe is accurate and true, and it's this. Grace is the power of God's goodness or the power of God to do good through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That when we talk about grace, we're talking about what God can do. We sang about it tonight, about the fighting battles, and I appreciated what Pastor Tiffany said about the fact that sometimes when we, reach in, when we encounter things, God wants to encounter us in what we're encountering. We want to be delivered from it, but God has put it there and is going to use it, and he can use anything because the power of his goodness can turn any situation, any circumstance, any affliction into something that he intends it to be used for. Grace, I'm going to try to track along here with my notes. 
But grace, God's goodness in all its aspects, and his aspects of grace are mercy and strength, encouragement, insight, perspective. Grace is the power of change. Grace changes circumstances. It transforms lives to accomplish. It, grace works the purposes of God. The dynamic power of God's grace is seen and experienced, now hear this, most readily in change. Most readily we encounter the power of God to do good when he's working change. And of course, God is in the business of changing everything, and ultimately it will be completely changed. Grace and change go together. Change is both initiated and sustained by grace. When God leads a people, he brings them into change. Whether it's the change of relocating some 33 times in 40 years, as we've heard about this month, or it's the change that brings people of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different experiences to grow in love and commitment for one another. Or possibly it's the change that results when such changed people begin to step into their society to bring the change that only God can bring. This is the work of grace. Titus 2, 11 and 13 uh, I'm so struck by this when, it's, when I was reading this some, some months back, pictures the work of grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Here grace is the agent of transforming change. It's grace that works in you. We think of grace as what gets us out of things that require us to change. Grace is actually sent to change us. That word train is the same word that is used of how children are disciplined. Same root word. And this is the kind of work of change that God is bringing about in us. Grace is active, working to both accomplish that which God intends his people to be and to do, and, and to support and strengthen and sustain them as the work is done. Grace is both moving us forward and sustaining us as we go. And we can call on the Holy Spirit at any point to help us with endure in the change that calls us to endure or to, to find fresh vitality, fresh vigor for the change that he's bringing us into. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, come boldly before the throne of grace. That's why in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul cries out to be delivered, cries out to be delivered from the devil himself. And, and God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you. So there's something about grace and change that go together. And I think that, that's why looking back at grace as part of the name of this church, this is a church that has been in the process of change the entire time that it's existed. And it's going to continue to be that way. 
And we, for our part, I wrote down here, as long as this church follows the leadership that has been set over her, as long as we are committed to the vision of winning the city, as long as we strive to live our lives in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ, the one constant will be change. Grace for change will be essential and something abundantly supplied to all who ask for it and believe it. And that's why it's appropriate that we regard ourselves first, the first foundation stone of who we are is grace. Second one, covenant. At the time that our our, our, that, that this name, our name, was proposed, there had been a great deal of teaching on the revelation of God's nature made through covenant. In 1990, when Pastor Brett offered this name, covenant was formative in a number of the movements. The teaching on covenant was formative in a number of movements that were under the broader umbrella of the charismatic renewal. Covenant in the Bible reveals the character of God, showing him to be unilaterally committed and loyal to both his purpose, his intentions, and the people he draws into, those pur- into his purpose. Covenant speaks of God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, his unswerving commitment to both accomplish what he has said he would do and sustain those in and through whom he would do it. The first clear picture we have of covenant being walked out or acted out, there's covenants referred to early on in Scripture as far back as Noah, and some say there was a covenant made with Adam in the garden. But the one vivid picture we have of covenant is found in Genesis 15. I can't go into all of the details, but basically it's Abram coming before God, having heard this promise. In fact, God having renewed his promise to give this man seed, a child, an heir, and to bring him into a land that would one day be his family's own. And there was no indication any of that was happening. And so God addresses, addresses Abram, and he, he tells him to do something that we would find very strange. He says, take these animals, and he, he lists a group of animals, cut them in half, and pull the halves apart, so as to create a bloody trail through the parts. Well, it's thought that Abram would have seen this kind of thing amongst kings when he was in Babylon, that this was the way that treaties were made. The treaties were entered into lesser kings, greater kings, and they would enter into a bond, a commitment, and they would cut covenant. That's literally what it was called. The idea here was that the lesser kings or the lesser person would be appealing to the greater for something that only the greater could provide and would would commit themselves to serve or honor or pay homage to the greater if they would provide the things the lesser needed. Does that make sense? So Abram, when he heard God Almighty, the God of his who promised this, say, cut the animals, he knew pretty clearly who was the lesser 
and who was the greater. And it said, when darkness fell, a great fear came on Abram. And what we see was the God who had made the promise, instead of having Abram pass through the pieces and make some kind of an oath, it's there that we hear the word, the Shekinah glory. The burning pot and the glowing oven. It's a compound word that mashed together that speaks of the glory and the presence and the magnificence of God passed down through the path. It was God binding himself to Abram and saying, I'm going to fulfill what I said I would do for you. That's why it says in Hebrews 6, 13 through 15, this, this, this is summarized. It says, for when God made a promise to Abram, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham obtained the promise. Now, the point, now just we could stop right there. And say, this is the God who we serve. This is the God who is unilaterally committed to do in and for and with us everything that he said that he's going to do. But covenant not only reveals God's nature and character regarding his purpose. Now hear this. But it also reveals his nature and character toward relationship. God binds himself to people. He commits himself to people, not because they are good, desirable, or worthy of such unilateral commitment, but, but he does so because that's how he is. And as God is, so are we to be. When Pastor Brett presented this name, he was a man who had come to see and understand something of this revelation of covenant. He, like me, had been walking with others with whom we both knew, people we knew God had joined to us and we, had joined, we were joined to them. Covenant expressed the dimension of commitment we had to one another. We were joined to one another, committed to one another, and to serving the God who had brought us into his covenant. Mark Hawk, Steve Merle, who you may have been introduced to or we were introduced to on Sunday, Pastor Phil Bonasso, Ron Lewis, Donnell Jones, J.C. Sherrod, Daryl Green, and others were men to whom Pastor Brett was committed in the light of what he had been revealed to him by God's own character and nature in covenant. Similarly, when I led the congregation I was leading to join with Pastor Brett in 1997-98, Kathy and I were walking with people we'd been walking with for decades before that. Elder Roy and Ga- Elder Roy Watson, his wife Gail and family. A couple that some of you would remember, Jerry and Mary Sue Hermes, but you certainly know his son David. David and Megan planted our church in Denver. Our commitment to one another was not based on our affinity. It was not based on our shared interests. It was not based on our compatibility or personal appeal. It was based upon a shared commitment that bound us together and required us to overcome those things that would divide us. 
we regarded the bond of our relationship as holy. Today, a lot is made of community. I want to suggest that the strength, the glue that upholds and sustains Christian community is established upon the revelation of covenant. God's covenantal nature, his character of unswerving commitment. The foundation stone of covenant, I would suggest, needs to be brushed off, discovered afresh by another generation. The third foundation stone is church. In 1984, Brett and Cynthia, our friends, Kathy and myself, had lunch in Herndon. By that point, Pastor Brett and I had known each other since late 1990 or early 1991. We had discovered that we lived in fairly close proximity to one another, uh, they just over the line in Sterling and we just over the line in Herndon. And as we got to know one another and, and our relationship was established, uh, one of the things that, uh, that they came to, to uh, I don't even know how it all developed, but my daughter Hillary, uh, when Tellus was born, went to the, to the Fuller's home and watched the kids while Pastor Brett and Cynthia went to the hospital. So it was that kind of a relationship. We were walking together, experiencing things together before we were ever in ministry together. But when I sat down with him at that lunch, he set out a vision that he had for the church, and it's one that we've heard echoed this month. Uh, it was the, he said, uh, he quoted out of, um, uh, out of Ephesians, and he said this. He said, uh, he quoted, he said, the, the passage that he was, he was drawing from was, so that through the church, Paul writes to the Ephesians, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now that word manifold, and you probably remember hearing uh, Bishop Brett talk about this, that word manifold is translated from the Greek in the Septuagint to describe the many-colored coat of Joseph. Bishop Brett had a vision of the church demonstrating to principalities and powers, authorities, Something of the wisdom of God through a multi-ethnic, multi-colored, multi-dimensional church. And that's exactly what Paul was declaring and was describing in this passage in Ephesians. And when I heard Bishop Brett speak of that, I resonated with it because the church that I was pastoring had been planted in Washington, D.C. from Texas to build exactly that kind of a church. And four years later, we came to, the, came to agreement that it would, be, it would be better and we would be stronger if we joined forces and did it together. As I reflected back on what he was shared there about the manifold wisdom of God being displayed to rulers and authorities, I'm not sure what all that describes. Uh, it seems to have a spiritual warfare dimension to it. Uh, where, wherein the, 
the, with the, the powers and principalities of darkness observe the very things that they've fostered and they've nurtured in the walls of division between people are being torn down and removed. And people who would normally not only not come together but would be alienated from one another are now joined together and they demonstrate something of the power of God's redemption. I think that's part of the wisdom. It shows the power and the supremacy of God to do good. It may also refer just to the demonstration of grace. Do you know that angels don't understand grace? They have no frame of reference for grace. And so 1 Peter, it says that angels long to peer into things and understand what is it that God's doing with these creatures called people. And, and, and they're instructed by it. And the wisdom of God is made known in that sense. In all, church has to do with the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven in all its aspects. Being demonstrated to the world around us. It has to do with... Every aspect of who we are as God's people manifesting, whether it's through miracles or whether it's through perseverance, whether it's through uh, the, the, the individual testimony or whether it's through what a church like ours produces and evidences, that God is working to establish and to bring about in the earth a picture, a reality, a sense of the kingdom of heaven here present. And in doing so, drawing people to himself. We have an opportunity as we reflect on our name, as we, as we look at, at who we are and what we are, we have an opportunity moving forward to continue to build on these foundation stones. They're eternal in nature. They're big. They have gravity. They have weight. They have substance. There's more yet that God wants to build on grace, covenant, church. There's more yet that he wants to do in us through grace and covenant and being church. And for our part, as, as members of this church, as part of this church family, we want to press in, but we want to keep clearly before us the reality of what God has established us upon and how we're to build upon it how we're to build upon it individually. Remember, grace trains us to be different people. But how we build on it together, remember that God is demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God to powers and principalities and to the world around us through how we build. And grace is going to be the power that allows us to change. Covenant is the strength of our relationship together. And church is what makes us a lamp on a lampstand, a city set on a hill. And it's something that we have decades to look forward to doing. I'm struck by the fact that that foundation stone, that picture that we saw, has been there for 3,000 years. We talk about having another 40 and how great that'll be. <laughs> the stones we build on, are much bigger than 3,000 years. They're eternal. And we, for our part, 
need to draw up. We need to put our roots down, as it were, into, those, into, those, into that foundation and grow up with a quality of life and dimension, faith and power that gives expression to grace, covenant, church. Amen? Amen. Well, Lord God, bless this, this wonderful family as we conclude 40 years of, cel of celebrating our past 40 years and celebrating it for these last weeks. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, form us, shape us, and God, where we need to hear so that we can proceed forward with greater clarity, bigger faith, a, a greater embracing and willingness to change. God, work in our hearts these things, I pray in Jesus' name.